It was always my understanding that the church was there to represent love and Christ. I had no idea how untrue that was until I really started to speak about sexuality and my experiences within the industry. Beyond getting completely rejected by that very first church we were a part of for years, when I went public with my story, I had lots of other experiences that really took me behind the scenes as to what, how, or how the church ran. Hi, my name is Jess Rich. Welcome to Whores Do It Best, a business podcast. However, we are spending the first 12 episodes really removing the stigma around the sex industry. And I am walking you through all the different paradigm shifts that I had to experience in order to be able to go from being a charismatic evangelical Christian to being able to fully say and believe that sex work is work and that we need to listen to to those individuals who are currently in the sex industry because old hoes like myself do not have my finger on the tap of what is going on. So when I want to know about current solutions, guess who I talk to? My favorite sex workers because they're the ones who understand the current industry. But as I demystified my own story around being trafficked and being in the sex industry as an empowered sex worker, I discovered that my skills and all the perks that I have were learned because of my experiences in the industry. And until we remove that stigma, it makes it really difficult to be able to learn business from whores. But that is exactly what we are going to be doing. And it is going to be so much fun. So I hope that you join me on this journey. My first observation was that churches run like a business, like a very serious money making business. And yet they weren't necessarily paying their people well at all, unless you were in like what I would call upper management, but they call it leadership. It was run primarily off of volunteers. People are just literally guilted into volunteering and tithing. And yet the people in leadership don't behave the same way. There was such a staunch difference between the leadership and then the masses of people who volunteer and work for the church. There was this one church that Reed and I spoke at and we had five minutes each to share our story. And like I went first, he went second, and then there were five services in a row. It was absolutely wild to hear the pastor get up and literally just recite his script one time after another time after another time. And the week after Reed and I shared, and of course we were talking about love relationships and the sex industry. The very next week, one of the main pastors got on stage confessed and resigned. And now we all know, because we've seen it happen hundreds of times, that this is really common in the churches. Like something happens in leadership, someone gets exposed, they have to step down, everybody's supposed to have grace, and yet there's no oversight. There's no, it, like, 
the issues are historically over and over and over again, pushed under the rug, pushed away, denial, gaslighting, spiritual abuse is so, so common because the scriptures are just twisted and manipulated to make us believe something entirely different. But none of it represents the Christ that they say they represent. I also had this huge conflict in that I was born without a penis. Everyone, like everyone who got to know me at all would just come to me and be like, Jess, you're anointed, you're gifted, you're all of these amazing things. But because I was born without a penis, within the non-denominational evangelical church at the time, I wasn't allowed to use these amazing gifts that I had been given. And I could not understand why God would make this kind of mistake. Because, like, why would I have all of these attributes that are, like, quote-unquote masculine and yet be born without a penis? Because I couldn't teach in certain areas. I couldn't teach to the men. I couldn't be in certain leadership roles. And I'm like, this is like absolutely ridiculous. Why would God do this to me? And as I asked questions, they would move me up little bits in leadership, but then I could teach to the women. I could speak to the congregation, but could never do an altar call. I couldn't wrap things up. I could speak with my husband standing next to me, but not by myself. And there were so many contradictions that went against my own values. And yet it left me incredibly confused. There was one night I had spent like four hours talking to a dear friend of mine who is a Christian, a theologian, and a linguist, and also very, very, um, I don't know how they identify, gay. Very, very gay. And... It's so cool because I had a chance to talk to them for all these hours and I really just got so many answers. And I made this decision that I was just a man inside a woman's body and yet was okay with being a woman. So Reed came home from work after I'd had this conversation and (laughs) he comes in and I, the moment he hits the door, I'm like, Reed, I have to tell you right now, I am a man and I, in a woman's body, but it's okay. I'm not like upset being a woman. And he's like, hmm. He sat down, he crossed his legs, he leaned back and he goes, huh, I see that. And once again, his acceptance of who I was made my transition so much easier because I spent the next couple years when I was really consulting with a lot of nonprofits, with a lot of churches, building a lot of programs that were very much faith based. I, in my head, was just like, yeah, I got this big dick that hangs to the left and It's how I carried myself because I had the confidence that one Reed accepted me, but I felt like I was totally incognito. It was like this rebellion within me that it was like, I don't like what the church says about me. I don't like the contradiction that I feel I was given when I was born. 
And so I'm just going to be me. And I rolled like this <laughs> incognito person where I'm like, I'm totally a dude. And I'm going to act like a dude and I'm going to be a dude, but I'm going to leverage this pussy power and get in all the doors that I can. And it was so fun and funny. It was like this crazy game in my head about just who I was. Over the years, I realized that it wasn't that who I was was wrong. And it wasn't right either. Like, it just was. The problem was, was I had gendered these gifts because the church genders gifts. Like, these certain attributes are only for men and these other attributes are for women and there's no crossover. And that distortion of reality made it to where I could not accept my beautiful, powerful femininity because I was simply confused as to why God would give me certain gifts without the hardware that was required. And if you come out as transgender in the church, oh my God, you're just, you're set to exile immediately. And I was already dealing with enough stigma just being me, talking about trafficking in the industry. It, I couldn't imagine trying to change. And really, I felt like I was getting away with so much already because I've always been bisexual. I just happened to marry a man. And so that eliminated me from so much stigma that I was actually blind to and that's the nature of privilege. Privilege means that you just don't see the things that you have because you have it. And you don't really know life any other way. Like, I'm, I'm aware of my white privilege, but I don't know what it's like to live under any other skin. I can see my privilege now, but there's still hiccup. It's a learning process. Well, I couldn't see the privilege of appearing to be straight because I just lived in it. It wasn't until I started bringing friends to church who were not straight on the outside and I could not believe the exile. I could not believe the judgment, the looks, the scoffs. How people would just assume. And now I only went to the most accepting type churches. The come as you are, we accept everybody. Those were the only ones I went to. And yet still when I brought someone with me that didn't look the part, it was shocking how different even our friends treated us. There was another time where I spoke at a pastor's luncheon. There was probably 50 or 60 pastors who all got together like once a month to talk about a topic. So I'm speaking, but I'm not on the roster because I was a late arrival or they asked me like last minute and I was just like, yeah, it's right down the street. I'll come talk. I got there and I listen and it's awkward because I'm like the one female except maybe one of the secretaries who was there to take notes. Like talk about hella awkward. But when I got up to speak, the craziest thing happened. And I see the pastor from that first church, the one that 
would never respond, that like completely shunned us. The pastor stands up, like when I'm just getting up to speak, starting to engage, he gets up and like beelines to the door and leaves. It's so awkward when you're like in the middle of something and you see that happen. And I remember just pausing going, he has diarrhea. Just pretend he has diarrhea and he's got to go. And I just continued. But later, as I thought about that justification, it was hysterical because I was like, I'm literally creating excuses for abusers. And at the same time, it was the only way I could reconcile how awful it felt and what kind of pain and agony and shame he must be living in to have that type of a response to me. And I never actually found out what happened to him or where he went. He moved on. He's no longer a part of that church, although most of the leadership is still in place. Ironically enough, a couple years after that, my phone started blowing up one day because I still had a lot of friends in the church, but they understood why we weren't there. And they were like, oh my gosh, you're like, they're playing your video, they're playing your video. And I was like, what are you talking about? As I went a little deeper and asked some questions, I discovered that that same exact church was then playing a video of my story and raising money. And it was one of only a few times in my entire life that I threatened to sue. The organization that they were raising money for turned out to be incredibly toxic. They were literally shaming people so bad over being gay. You're not healed. You're not better. You can't truly serve God. And that church was using my story to raise money for that nonprofit, and I lost my shit. That being said, the nonprofit or the church has never used my story since. So the last church we ever attended was the most liberal, charismatic church in the area that we could find that still aligned with our beliefs of being a Bible-believing church. And <laughs> we used to call it the boob church because it was two domes on the side of the mountain. And they were so much more open. They had a huge Celebrate Recovery, which is like AA for Christians. They had a huge Celebrate Recovery thing, group, hundreds of people. They had... And they were doing specifically anti-trafficking work. That was why I was there because the head pastor really just took me under his wing and was like, I'm going to help you and I'm going to teach you business and I'm going to teach you all these things. And he like pulled me in as like his pet project. And at the time we were struggling financially and he had made all of these big promises, like, I'm going to get you in here because I've always been really skilled with business, but I didn't know my worth primarily because I lacked the anatomy, like the no penis thing was really difficult for me because I wasn't allowed to work in certain jobs within the church 
because I wasn't male and therefore only qualified to make like pennies. He was like, I'm going to help you and I'm going to help you with all these other things, but you can do this other thing to make money. He ended up putting me in a warehouse. I don't even know how to explain it. It was like the most fucking manipulative thing ever because he would bring me into his office privately, shut the door, have these huge drawn out conversations teaching me all about business. And he gave me, in fact, the spreadsheet that I use in my business to this day is based off of a $4 million church budget spreadsheet that he had given me. He's like, this is the best spreadsheet you'll ever use for um, budget calculations and forecasting and those kinds of things. And you know what? He's right. It really was. Um, and still is. I've modified it a gazillion times since then. But the but he gave me all of these special perks. Like he was teaching me and spending time with me. And he doesn't spend time with anyone. Then when I was like, you know what? I need to make more money. And you've said all these things. And if you would be so kind as to give me a like, share, or review. If this podcast has impacted you, what can I do? Like, give me a job. Let me do something. He ended up putting me in a warehouse stuffing church bulletin like mailers that they send out to the congregation to raise more money and it was ridiculous because it was working in this non-air conditioned non-heated warehouse with all these other people and we were making like 70 bucks a day it was like not even close to what a living wage would be meanwhile he has this massive house, beautiful cars, like the the difference between how he treated his staff versus how he treated himself, his, his family and the upper echelons. Like it was so fucking crazy. I still have trouble wrapping my head around the nuances of the bullshit that he ran myself and my family through because he would have my entire family over to his house for dinners and events and holidays and we would have so much fun and he would like show us off we were on his social media like he was literally showing off our family and then he would push us to the lowest levels when it came to actual work, actual assistance. It was the most confusing, contradicting, trafficking makes more sense to me than spiritual abuse. Like it is a brain fuck. Well, as my relationship with him started to become like strained, we ended up having a couple meetings where Reed was involved because um, resolving conflict as a woman without a penis is difficult to do with a man who doesn't see a female as anywhere near equal. So I brought Reed in and Reed witnessed the this brain fuck that the pastor would do where he would talk one way and then flip it around and talk it another way. And it was so much brain fuckery. I couldn't see my way out. And by the time we were done with this lunch, Reed was fuming. And as we talked on the way home, it was like, yeah, we've got to get away from this church. This is it. We're done. We're not going back. 
to this church or probably any church. And I ended up writing a letter of resignation that had four points in it. And it was four points where there was abuse taking place specifically between myself and the pastor and how he was gaslighting me, how he was treating me, having private meetings behind closed doors, like in his office with no windows. And he never did anything inappropriate, probably because he knew I would throat punch him. But it just went against the teachings that he said. He would say in Sunday service, I never do anything like that. And then he would do that. And that contradiction just pissed me off. So I wrote this four point resignation letter. And then we quit going to church. And I ended up that next Sunday, I had shared the resignation letter with a few of my closest friends because I was in leadership there as well. And they started messaging me at the service. And what I discovered was that pastor had taken the four points of my letter, turned it upside down, and for approximately 100,000 people in all of their satellite churches all over the world, taught a four-week sermon series on divisive leadership using my fucking resignation letter. If that wasn't the epitome of gaslighting, I don't know what is. Divisive leadership. My ass. Had I not experienced behind the veil of the mega charismatic evangelical churches, had I not spoken about my story, I don't know that I would have ever seen the bullshit. And I definitely wouldn't have seen it as early. And so if you're listening to this and you struggle with those things, know that you are not alone. It's going to be okay. The bullshit is really pretty. They have put a whole lot of lipstick on a really ugly pig. And it's hard to see past that veil. I love you tons. I hope you have a magnificent, badass day. I hope you join me on the next episode where we will be talking about the agenda of love. Ooh, it's deep. I'm so excited. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.